When I was first ordained, I didn't anticipate that the 14th chapter of John, which we just heard a portion of, would be the passage of scripture that I would preach the most often in my ministry. But that's because at that point, I didn't know just how beloved this passage is for those who are picking readings for a funeral service. The reading we just heard from the beginning of the 14th chapter of John has played a pivotal role in many of our lives as we've listened to it at the burial of a loved one. But it also plays a pivotal role in its placement in scripture. We may be in the fifth Sunday of Easter now, but this reading transports us all the way back to Maundy Thursday. We sit not with the risen Christ, but with Jesus who has not yet been crucified. He's sitting at the Last Supper with his disciples, and he has just washed their feet. He's given them the great commandment to love one another. And then he begins our reading for today. And what this begins is what's known as Jesus's farewell discourse. And like other farewell discourses throughout classic antiquity and Shakespeare and scripture, it follows a similar formula. Jesus announces that he's leaving. He consoles his followers. He gives them some words of instruction and he promises that he'll be with them again. And as Jesus says these words at that supper, he knows what lies ahead for him on Good Friday and Holy Saturday and Easter Sunday. But his disciples, despite multiple warnings, still aren't entirely sure how could they be of what is about to happen to them. And so as they receive this news from Jesus, they are understandably shaken and confused. It's when we are shaken and confused that we often encounter this text in our lives. And as we proclaim it standing beside an open grave, we cling to Jesus's consolation. Do not let your hearts be troubled. We yearn for the vision of heaven that he gives. In my father's house, there are many dwelling places. Those specific images and words of the father's mansion would have been familiar to that first audience because here Jesus is borrowing from Jewish bridegroom language of when a Jewish bridegroom would go and prepare a place and then when it was time, go and get the bride and go there together. And by weaving in that imagery, Jesus deepens the intimacy that he has with his followers. Their relationship is one of comfort and familiarity, of being known. And those disciples need those words as they hear of Jesus's departure, that they are known by him, that they will be together all in one place, that there will be plenty of room, and that Jesus will take care of all of it. 
It's no wonder we turn to this reading in our own times of grief and loss. But the comfort of the roomy mansion starts to fade a little bit as the reading goes on. The disciple Thomas has just a few questions, like we know he will have again post-resurrection. And he says, this all sounds so wonderful, but if you could just get a little bit more specific, Jesus, about how we get to that mansion, that would be great. To which Jesus responds with one of his iconic I am statements that are woven all throughout the Gospel of John. And he says, in effect, Thomas, you want a map? Well, that is what I am. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And now I have to tell you something about that verse, verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. When I first got to St. Paul's and proclaimed this gospel for the first time, indeed, at a burial service, I opened the gospel book and to my surprise saw that the second half of that verse, no one comes to the Father except through me, had been crossed out. And not just crossed out, but someone, and, and not one of us, had written beside it the words, no, with an arrow pointing at it. And believe me when I say I understand the impulse here to edit Jesus. The last thing we want to do, especially when we gather grieving family and friends, is offend them. We've spoken of all the space that Jesus makes, so why now? There are plenty of rooms. Why would we close the doors? Now, we never have time to get into that at a service of burial, but here on the fifth Sunday of Easter, I want to linger over this verse 6 to see, perhaps, what more there is to understand it. And as we enter deeply into it, I want to offer the disclaimer that I will not solve the theological complexity within this verse. That will be for a lifetime of shared conversations and prayer between us. But what I hope to do is offer some context that would maybe allow us to keep it unerased in our gospel book and proclaimed at our funerals. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I imagine that as you hear these words, you hear them through the gravel and silt of interpretive history and what they mean and imply that Jesus is the only and exclusive way to gain salvation. And what that kind of interpretation then implies is that if you were not born a Christian or did not find Christ later in life, then you are doomed. And what that further means is that if you happen to be a person of committed faith in another tradition like Jewish or Buddhist, Hindu, then there is no hope for you. And that's what causes so many of us to erase it 
from our minds and our services because so many of us can say that the most Christ-like people we know aren't even Christians. What's catastrophically flawed about an interpretation that narrow is that it ignores all the context that surrounds it. Beginning just with those I am statements I mentioned. We heard one of them last week, if you were here. I am the good shepherd. Or later, I am the bread of life. What each of these I am statements has in common is that they attest to the presence of God, not God's absence. And so if we were to interpret this particular I am statement as one of exclusion and absence of God, then we have interpreted it in an antithetical way to the rest of the other I am statements. And if we return to this farewell discourse at hand, the next verse says, if you know me, this is Jesus, if you know me, you will know my Father also. What the Gospel writer John has taken pains to do, what Jesus takes pains to do, is to assure us that Jesus and God the Father, they dwell in each other, they are one. We cannot separate them. Jesus is the Word made flesh, God invisible made visible. And our faith is rooted in the intimacy and bond of the Holy Trinity. And when Jesus says, if you know me, the next implied sentence is, and you do. Jesus's words here, as one writer put it, are words of comfort, not condition. We know Jesus. And we know that his way has never been one of constriction or exclusion or favoritism. The risen Christ is a God of radical, boundary-breaking, death-defying love. And if we were to interpret this verse to weave to say is one of exclusion, then we would, as the author Brian McLaren wrote, be prompted to forget everything we know about Jesus, everything we've seen about him, how he treats the outsiders and the rejects, the tax collectors and the prostitutes. This interpretation would seem to say, forget all of that and believe instead that God will reject anyone who doesn't have your doctrinal point of view. Jesus will stand as a barrier of entry, not letting anyone get to God the Father unless they sign on to his new religion. And read in the fullness of its context, that doesn't make sense. Because Jesus' way, which he never promised would be easy, has always been one of healing, of acceptance, inclusion, forgiveness and love from beginning all the way to the end, 
whether it was with a visiting by night Pharisee in Nicodemus, or the woman at the well, or a man born paralyzed, or a woman caught in adultery, Jesus has always gathered everyone at the table. And just like on that Holy Thursday, when he first spoke these words, he washes their feet. And he says the most important thing you can know now is that you must love one another. And then he tells us of a mansion with plenty of room for you and for me. Jesus preached, taught, died, and rose again for love. And that Jesus is the way. That Jesus is the truth. That Jesus is the life. Amen.